Second Timothy, and we are in chapter four. We finished up chapter three last week, and um, said from the beginning that this was Paul's final letter. This was the last of all of the the scripture that we have written by him, and uh, he's preparing for his leaving. And as we get to chapter number four, he's going to be wrapping up this letter. He's going to be giving some last instructions, some last advice, and taking care of, uh, if you will, some last-minute business here. But just kind of an overview that I've been giving on Second uh, Timothy. In the first chapter, he was uh, telling Timothy to endure that there would be persecutions, there would be apostasy, different things. And so he didn't want to see Timothy be one of those that turned away. He wanted to see him continue onward. And then in chapter number two, he didn't want him just to continue and uh, just to finish, but he wanted him to finish well. And so he wanted him not just to endure, he wanted him to excel. And uh, I think that should be our hope for our Christian life. We don't want to just get in barely. We don't want to just drag in across the finish line or uh, just uh, make it to heaven just so as by fire, as the, the scripture says. But we want to finish well. And I don't think anyone sets out uh, whenever they do anything to just halfway do it. But they want to do a do it well, and that should be doubly true for uh, for our service for God. And so we don't want to be just a nominal Christian. We don't want to just be going through the motions or just uh, identifying with Christ, but not necessarily living like Him. But instead, we want to excel in our Christian walk. And so then, in chapter number three, what we are looking at is that uh, Paul is having uh, Timothy to evaluate. He says there's going to be uh, a Christianity that arises that is going to be fleshly, it's going to be worldly, it's going to cater to the things of the flesh, it's going to be indulgent, it's going to be uh, selfish and sensuous and all these different things, and it's going to appeal to many people. We'll see that even more tonight. But anyway, uh, he says those things aren't of God, and he tells him that there is a comparison that he needs to make. He needs to evaluate uh, what he believes and those who he associates with and that kind of thing, because not all who claim to be of Christ are Christ. Not all that claim to be Christian or claim to be religious or claim to be spiritual actually are. And so he says there's going to be those who are self-seeking, those who are uh, using and abusing people, those who are uh, teaching things contrary to Scripture, and they're going to have an outward appearance of religion, but he says, you know the type of people that you have been around. You know, uh, of course, Apostle Paul. You know uh, his mother, his grandmother, that he had learned the scriptures from. He says that you have been instructed from the time that you were born, basically, up in the scriptures, and you understand them. Uh, he says you have seen what it means to be a true servant of God. You know what it means to have the Spirit of God living within a person and uh, being visible on the outside of that person and working in their lives and things. And so he says you need to evaluate and make sure not to get off track by this form of godliness or form of godliness that has no power, but instead follow after true Christianity, true religion, which is empowered by the Holy Ghost that changes from the inside out rather than just having an outward appearance. And so we finished up with uh, chapter 3, looking at the Word of God as being sufficient for all things. He says, you've learned it your whole life. You've learned it from me. You've seen it from my example 
uh, you've been thoroughly versed, you have been discipled in it, you understand the word of God. And so this is somewhat, as we get to chapter number four, this is kind of uh, Timothy's promotion. Okay, I've entitled this all along, uh, Before I Go. Paul is getting ready to leave, he's getting ready to pass off of the scene, and he is passing the baton to Timothy. And so this idea goes that Christianity is going to be personal and it's going to be intergenerational. And what I mean by that is it needs to be uh, one generation passing it to the next generation, passing it to the next generation, passing it to the next generation. And that's what's got us here today. The things that Paul was teaching and doing back then has been passed on and passed on and passed on to where we have it here today before us. And so he is passing this on to Timothy. And as we're looking at all these things today, we should be looking at them in light of this idea of having something that does pass on, of living it in a way that is passing on. Okay? Uh, I mentioned during our prayer time that there was uh, several people from back home that had passed away in the in the just this last week. Uh, the missionary that had died in Iraq, we knew him, and he had a tremendous testimony. He had a work there. He had been sowing seed, and so he is passing on his uh, his faith to other people. And I believe that he has done a good enough job living it out that hopefully uh, even his sudden departure, I don't think will shake his family. I hope it doesn't, okay? Uh, the lady that I was talking about, she's a pastor's wife. Uh, I can remember back whenever she got saved and has testimony of salvation, has uh, good kids and everything there. They've been in church. And so she has a testimony. She's passing uh, her faith on as she's passing off the scene. Uh, the pastor that I mentioned that passed away, he was 61 years old, and he was a tremendous help. I had gotten an email from him uh, every Saturday for the past, I don't know how many years, of just encouragement, like a little devotion, encouraging me in different things, uh, and have memories of him in different things. And he has had an impact on many different people, and he is passing that faith onward, okay? And so as, as Paul is getting ready to pass off the scene, he's saying, Timothy, I want you to keep going. I want this faith to be something that doesn't just abide in me, but it also continues in you. I want to be able to pass this baton onward. And so he's reminded him of all these things. He says, uh, for him to endure, for him to excel, for him to uh, evaluate, to be careful what he's been being influenced by. And so uh, this week, what we're going to be looking at is where Paul is entrusting him. Okay, Keeping this all alliterated for so we remember. Everything with an E, right? And so he's going to be entrusting him. He's passing the, the baton off to him. He says, I'm not going to be able to do this any longer. I'm getting ready to lose my head. That's what happened to Paul. But Timothy was still there and could still carry on what Paul was no longer able to do because he was passing off the scene. And so for us, I would hope that each and every one of us would be able to do the same as Paul as we continue down here in just a little bit where we'll be reading. But he says that I have... I uh, fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And that should be our desire is to finish well, to finish the course that's been set before us, but also to leave people behind that we have impacted that are going to carry on the things that we're no longer doing when we pass off the scene. Okay? And so let's go ahead and read in chapter number four. And I'm going to read down through verse number eight. 
And that's as far as we'll go today, I'm pretty sure, if we get there. Uh, but chapter 4, verse number 1, it says, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all su longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap, up, heap to themselves uh, teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy minister ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. And so as we look at this here, there's a few different things we want to bring out of it. But of course, I want to point out, as we look at verse number one, I charge thee, therefore. Therefore is linking it up to what we've looked at so far, what we were looking at at the end of chapter number three. Uh, at the end of chapter number three, he says, uh, you have learned these things. You have been assured of them uh, from an early age, from a child, it says in verse 15 of chapter three. And it tells that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so then he says, I charge thee therefore. You have been taught, you have learned, you have been discipled, you have the scriptures with you, you have access to those, you have understanding of those, you know the truth, okay? And so for us as Christians today, we have been instructed in the truth, we know the truth, we have access to the truth. And as we are passing this onward, as we are keeping things going, as we are uh, continuing in the faith, these things still apply to us. We could look at Timothy and say, well, that was just Paul to Timothy. That was just uh, Paul to his, uh, to his successor there, to his apprentice. That was just one pastor to another. No, as we've looked at this, this has been all throughout it, Paul to all Christians that would come after him. Timothy, in a way, was just a picture, somewhat of a placeholder for all the Christians in successive generations. Yes, it did intentionally mean to go to him, but as it's recorded in Scripture, it's saying this is for all of us that's to follow. We've been instructed by Paul. We've been uh, disciples of Paul, learning from Paul, because about half the New Testament was written by him. And so the things that he was instructing Timothy, God saw fit, fit to put in here for our good, for our learning, for our benefit. And so these things apply to us just the same as they did Timothy. And so whenever he says, I charge thee, he's going to be uh, committing to him a task. This is, uh, in a way, uh, as an authority to the one that he is over, as the discipler to the disciplee, if you will, okay? From the teacher to the pupil. Uh, it's almost a military-type term, as if he was the sergeant to one of, his, uh, one of the men under his charge, okay? So there was an authority that was given, and he says, I am charging you, I am committing this task to your, to your trust, 
I'm giving you this responsibility, okay? And not only that, he gives his charge, but he says, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a saying today, and it's often, anyway, it's kind of became a byword to this day, but it has a similar meaning to this. Has anyone ever heard, God is my witness? You've heard that? God is my witness, and then they proceed to lie after that usually. <laughs> but this isn't what Paul was doing. He wasn't lying. But he says, I'm charging you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. Uh, another time that we would have a similar thing going on would be at a wedding, right? You hear a wedding, it says in the presence of God and all of these people, right? And so this is a solemn decree, a solemn charge that's going before him here. And he says, in the presence of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, I am committing this to your, ta to your trust. They are the witnesses. They are the ones that were going to be evaluating and going to be holding you to this. Okay? And the importance in him calling God and Jesus Christ to be witnesses here is that he is telling Timothy that the job that he is going to be doing, this task that he's being given to carry out, is going to be for God above and for Jesus Christ, his Savior. Okay? And the reason I bring this out is because it's too easy for us as Christians to get our priorities wrong, to get our eyes in the wrong place, our perspective in the wrong place, and the things that we do end up being for the wrong people and for the wrong reasons. And so the reason why we serve God, the reason why we live for him, the reason why we try to be a testimony isn't so it looks good to other people. It isn't because it's expected out of us. It isn't because we have to do it or because someone's going to hold us accountable, but it is because we belong to God, right? You're not your own. You're bought with a price, right? And so he's telling him, uh, you're going to be answering to God for these things. And whenever I say it that way, it sounds a bit heavy, doesn't it? And I don't intend it to sound heavy, but here's the problem that we face is that too often we're not concerned about serving God. We're not concerned about what God thinks or what God would have us to do because it's too easy to get trapped into man-pleasing and wondering, what does so-and-so think? Uh, how does so-and-so uh, see me? How do they view this? What do they expect out of me? And so in a way, this is extremely liberating. The Bible says that the fear of man worketh a snare. And I've quoted that uh, verse several times. And if it's not for anyone else, it's for me, because I don't want to fall into that trap of constantly fearing man and allowing men's uh, very changeable nature to determine what direction I'm going on my life and what I'm going to be doing. If I allow man's expectations to guide me and to direct me, I'm going to be in trouble and it's going to crush me. Okay, But we serve a very good God, a very reasonable God, a God that knows us better than we know ourselves, and one that knows exactly that what we're capable of. Okay, One thing that I often bring out when thinking about this is, do you remember whenever uh, Jesus told the parable of the talents? Remember the parable of the talents? Shake your head, do something so I know. 
Some do, some don't. So anyway, the parable of talents is whenever uh, the master of the house was going away and he gave to his servants differing amounts according to their several ability. And then they were later on to give an account for that, right? Is that more familiar now? Yes. Okay. So with that, something very important in this is that the master of the house evaluated his servants. He knew what they were capable of, and he didn't task them all with the same task. He knew that each of them had different capabilities, different uh, different abilities to handle what he was giving them. And so he gave them tasks that were suitable to their abilities, right? And so to one, he gave 10, another he gave five, another he gave two or one. I can't remember. There's a couple of them that are very similar, so I get the numbers mixed up sometimes. Okay? But the purpose of all that, the point in all that, is that each one of them had a different ability. It says according to their several ability, their ability as servants. Okay? And so God is that wise. He knows what we are capable of. He knows what he can expect out of us. And he doesn't expect too much and doesn't expect too little. He doesn't want us to just scrape by and just laze through life. But at the same time, he's not going to be a hard taskmaster causing us and pushing us beyond our limits and beyond our means. He's not that way. Uh, it's beautiful if you just follow through the Gospels and look at Jesus with his disciples and how patient Jesus is with his disciples, knowing exactly what they're capable of. We've been going through and re-watching a lot of the Chosen series, okay? That's not Bible, by the way, but it's fun to watch, okay? And so they actually depict it quite well in many places where Jesus is tasking people with different things, and some of them biblical, some of them not. But that is who Christ is, and he knows what we are capable of. And so as Paul is giving Timothy this charge, he says you have been well prepared for it, you are well capable of it, and so I'm going to pass this baton off to you for you to do these things. And you're going to be doing them not for the pleasure of man, not for their applause, not to meet up with their expectations, but instead with God's. Okay? And God is much more just and fair than what man ever will be. Uh, I recently was uh, listening to a preacher and he was uh, trying to expound on a passage of scripture and the way that he came across in it was making it seem as if as if he had allowed a little too much humanism into his thought process and what I mean by that humanism is the focus on self it's a focus on mankind and so as he was uh, encouraging people to serve the Lord he was putting pressure on them to perform he was putting pressure on them work harder do more on and on and on and on, and as if we were competing with one another, as if we were trying to work for the, for the outward score, for the way that things appear, okay? And I don't know if I'm saying this clearly. I'm trying to be discreet about it because I don't want to out who I'm talking about. But anyway, but it was this idea that we should be getting results. That's the clearest way that I can put it that we should be getting results. And I'll tell you, as a pastor, that's extremely rough on me because it is not me that brings results. And so in the times whenever you're sowing and watering and all of those things and you're not seeing a lot of reaping, you don't see a lot of results, right? 
So then you feel like a failure. That's simple enough. But whenever I think about this, I look back at the men of God in Scripture that had very little results to report. Because you can look at men like Elijah, that he had preached and proclaimed and done miracles and done all kinds of things, and ended up going to a cave and saying, I'm the only one. Now, we would evaluate that by today's standards and by today's ministries and things. We would calculate Elijah to be a failure, wouldn't we? Look at his results. Look at his scorecard, right? He would be a failure. Because, hey, he was the only one and he wanted to die. So he wasn't even doing good with himself, let alone with everybody else. You look at Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Nobody would listen to him. Hosea was about the same, same sort. Jonah was the one that was the most successful, but he was the most pitiful of them all. Right? So if you were evaluating by today's standards, then Jonah's a rock star and Elijah's an utter failure. Isn't that the way it goes? So bringing this back to him charging before God and by, before the Lord Jesus Christ, he is telling him, you've got a job to do, but you answer to God. It's him that's setting the expectations. It's him that you must please. And do you think that God was more pleased? Maybe, maybe this is a bad question. Do you think that God was more pleased with Jonah or with Elijah? Elijah, right? I mean, if you look at the story of Jonah, it doesn't even end well. I mean, you look at the story of Jonah, it's basically just God showing us that we can be absolute horrible screw-ups and that God can still use it anyway. Because the story of Jonah ends with him weeping and whining underneath the little wilted gourd plant and saying, I wish that I could be killed because I don't want to see them prosper. I mean, Jonah never repents. He never turns around. It's not like this big Disney moment where he finally sees the light. He's still mad and bitter over it whenever it quits. But by man's standards, look what a ministry. Look at all the people of Nineveh getting right. So anyway, I need to get on, on track here. Verse number one, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. That's kind of what I was getting to already, is that he is the rightful judge. He's going to judge the quick and the dead. That's the living and the dead at his appearing. And so for the man who is afraid of the judgment of mankind, if he is afraid of uh, criticism, if he is afraid of what other people is going to think, if he is afraid of man's judgment, he is afraid of the wrong thing. Because man is not the right judge. Man is not the one that needs to be evaluating. It's not up to man to decide if we're on track or if we're doing right or what we should be doing or what direction God would have us to go in. It's not up to man. But then on the other side of this, it's not just that God is going to be judging his servants. He's going to be judging all men. And so that puts an urgency in the task that Paul is giving to Timothy. Because he's going to be telling him in verse number two, preach the word. Preach the word. Not everyone's going to be happy with you. Just make sure God's happy with you. 
Preach the word because there's a lot of people who are going to suffer the judgment of God and they need to be forewarned so they can get saved. Preach the word. And so putting this all in context, that God is the one who's in charge of it all. God is the righteous judge. That Jesus Christ will judge the quick and the dead at his appearing. That's a comfort to the Christians, but it also should compel Christians. That we are doing this for God. We are doing something that has an effect on people's eternity, right? And this idea that he judges the quick and the dead, just a, just a brief aside here. We talked about the different judgments in the past, okay? For those who are born again, for those who have been saved, our sins were judged on Calvary. Jesus Christ bore our sins on the cross. He paid our sin debt. Our sins are paid in full. The Bible says that our sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west. It says that they are in the depths of the sea. They are to be remembered no more. And so for the Christian, whenever he is judged, or she is judged, it is not going to be on the basis of their sins. Okay? And so for the Christian, they're going to be judged on what they did with the life that God has given them. I've already mentioned that we are not our own. We are bought with a price. We're going to be judged not for our sins, but for our stewardship. So he says, okay, I've saved you. I've given you eternal life. I've taken sin debt out of the way. Did you live for self? Did you live for me? If you live for self, the Bible says you have your reward. It says all of your works will be burned up, but you'll enter into heaven just so as by fire because you lived your life for yourself. Yes, you're saved because your works do not determine where you spend eternity. But also for the Christian who lives his life for Christ, God is a debtor to no man. He will reward, he will pay for all the things that we have done for him. Bible says, know you, not, or know you that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Okay? He keeps track of it all. He knows what you've done for him, what you've done for his glory, and he will reward you for that. So how great is that? Not only do we get to go to heaven, but we also get rewarded for the life that he has given us, that we have lived by his grace, and the things that he has enabled us to do. So he's done so much to make it happen, and we just kind of tag along on his coattails, and then he rewards us for it. Okay? But for the lost man, there's what's called the great white throne judgment, where it says that they are going to give an account for every idle word, for every sinful act or thought, because Jesus has offered to pay their debt on the cross, and they have rejected it, trusting instead in their own good works, or their own religiosity, or their church membership, baptism, uh, whatever else they have. And so whenever they get there, their sins have not been dealt with. They have not been paid yet. And so God will bring up every sin that they've ever committed, and they will be held accountable for every sin because they did not let Jesus pay for that debt. Okay? So two different judgments in view here. And so he says, I charge thee therefore before God, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. So this sets the, the foundation here. It sets the stage, if you will, for what he's getting ready to say. The Christians are going to be judged by God for the things that they do. We don't have to be afraid of mankind. We need to be living for God's approval, not theirs. Okay, But for the rest of the world that is lost and undone without Christ... We need to be living in such a way that they're going to 
I come to know Christ because they know us. Okay? So verse number two says, Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. And so he's going to start giving to Timothy just short, poignant instructions. Okay? And so if you think about this, okay, I can remember whenever I was a kid, whenever my parents would leave me at home by myself, well, me and my brother at home by ourselves, we would get up in the morning, we would go to the kitchen table, and what would be on the kitchen table? A list. Instructions, right? And so they would be short and concise. Do this, 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 and this. We knew what we had to get accomplished. We knew what to expect for the day. We knew what our job was, right? And so in a way, this is what Paul is doing for Timothy. And I'm glad whenever I know what's expected of me. I'm glad whenever it is clear, concise, and to the point, and someone says, this is what I expect. You ever try to do something without the instructions and where you just had to guess at it, try to do your best, try to figure it out, and then someone come through afterward and say, that's not at all what I wanted. Well, why didn't you tell me, right? God's not that way. And Paul's not that way with Timothy. And so he says, I'm charging you. I'm instructing you. I'm commanding you. Whatever you want to say here. Timothy, as a servant to God, that's going to give an account to God, that you preach the word. Then in chapter number three, he says, you know the word, right? You've been instructed in it. You've been well-versed. You've been taught it. It is inside of you, so go out and herald it, proclaim it. This idea of preach the word, it was uh, kings back in that day would have heralds that would go out whenever they would have a decree, they would have an edict, they would have instruction. Their herald would go out, stand out in the middle of the streets, the town, whatever, and cry loud and clear for all folks to hear what the king had to say. And so this is the idea that Paul's getting across to Timothy. God has given us a word. The king has given us instructions. And so we are to proclaim them clearly so that all would know. Okay? It's not the idea of having to go out and expound and try to convince. Or, he said, just go out and proclaim the truth. And a lot of people get messed up in this, just this word that's used to preach and say, well, I'm not a preacher. Right? You ever hear anyone say that? I'm not a preacher. Anyone who proclaims, anyone who publishes with their voice, they're preaching. Because that's all preach means is to proclaim. Okay? And so whenever he tells them here, preach the word, proclaim the word. Just simply be, tell people about Jesus, right? Tell them about the gospel that you're a sinner in need of a savior. God died for you so that you could have eternal life. Put your faith and trust in him so that your sins can be forgiven and your eternity sure and heaven will be your home. Proclaim the gospel. Preach the word. Then he says, be instant in season and out of season. At our home church back in the States, we had a joke that was going, a uh, long-running joke. We had several different preachers in the church, uh, and I was one of them. And our pastor would say, be instant in season and out of season. What that meant for us is that be ready to preach at a moment's notice. You don't always get a week or two weeks or a month's of notice. You might walk into church and he'd say, your turn to preach. And that happened several times. 
And that's not exactly what that verse means. Okay? We tie in that preach the word and be instant, meaning that you're ready to preach the word immediately. Anytime, place, right? And I guess that would be a good thing, right? But what he's telling Timothy, he says, be proclaiming the word. And whenever he says be instant, that means that you need to be earnest. You need to be diligent. Okay? Always on guard, always serving the Lord. What he's telling him here, be instant in season and out of season, he's talking about consistency in his walk. Because whenever he says in season and out of season, that means whenever it is convenient when it's not. Still be right there, consistent, serving God, diligently serving God, earnestly serving God, instant in your service. Okay? It's not highs and lows. It's not ups and downs. I'll serve God for a while, and then I'll lay out for a while, and back and forth, back and forth. He's telling Timothy, proclaim the gospel, proclaim the word, and be consistent. This idea also of in season and out of season tells us that it isn't always going to be convenient. It's not always going to be uh, welcomed. That could be another way to put it there because he says they're not always going to want to hear you. The crowd's not always going to be on your side. They're not always going to be coming out and wanting to, to hear what the preacher has to say. It's not always going to be popular. Okay? And so he's telling Timothy here, be instant, in season, out of season. Keep living for God. Keep preaching the word whether anyone wants to hear you or not, whether it's popular or not, whether it's fun or not, whether or not you feel like it, okay? This is the consistency here that he's talking about here because I find one of the problems with inconsistency, if you're up one day and down the next, there'll be one day that you're down and you stay down. If you're in for a time and out for a time and in for the ends become a lot shorter and further between, and the outs become a lot longer and more frequent. Does that make sense? Have you ever seen someone like, it can be not just even in church, but in any area of life, whenever they start to become inconsistent, it's not too long before they go the negative way with it. Don't throw anything at me. Don't get mad at me. What about a diet? You don't have a diet, right? I've done it a time or two. I'm not good at it. Okay. But as long as you're staying consistent, you're a lot more apt to be successful. But cheat once, right? And then the next time makes it easier. And then easier. Next thing you know, you've just emptied out a whole tub of ice cream yourself, right? Isn't that the way it goes? And so it's like that in all areas of our life, but how much more in our Christian life whenever we become inconsistent? And so for Timothy, he says, keep proclaiming the word, stay faithful, stay consistent, whether it's popular or it's not, whether it's well-received or it's not, keep serving God. And so he says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Three different things closely related there. To reprove is talking about uh, speaking in such a way to bring conviction. 
Okay, he's telling him here in just a minute that his reproof is to be with long-suffering and doctrine. All three of these things tie into long-suffering and doctrine. Long-suffering is patience, right? And we don't usually think of reproof and patience running together, right? Because many of us, whenever we were coming up, whenever we were under our parents, whenever we were getting reproof from our parents, our parents weren't patient. Right? And so there's like this disconnect for us. It's hard to reprove with patience. But this is what he's telling Timothy to do. With patience and with doctrine. Well, what's doctrine? It's instruction. It's teaching. Okay? So what Timothy is to be laboring in, he's to labor patiently. The work of God doesn't happen quickly. Results aren't predictable. They're not something that can be measured. It's not something that we can make happen. And so as he is laboring for God, he needs to be patient, and he needs to rely upon right doctrine, upon the Word. And he needs to be using that to reprove, to bring conviction upon people. So as we start going through the Word of God and we start finding things in the Word of God that the Holy Spirit starts applying to your life and starts bringing to your mind and saying, this is something that applies to you. This is something that you're struggling with. This is something in your life that shouldn't be there. That brings conviction on you. How does that come? It comes through the Word of God. And so it's not up to the preacher, the teacher, the Christian, or anyone else to come and through their own devices and their own ideologies to come and try to do this to anyone. But instead, we are to use the Word of God to proclaim the Word of God so that it brings reproof, it brings conviction upon the person. Then it says rebuke. So conviction, rebuke is correction. Okay? So conviction is to show a person what's wrong. And rebuke is to instruct them to correct it, right? Call them to correct it. And then the last word is to, excuse me, is to uh, exhort. To exhort is to uh, encourage or to comfort. Okay? So his three things is he says convict, correct, and comfort. And this balances out his ministry. So, Timothy, what are you supposed to be doing? I'm supposed to be consistent. I'm supposed to be proclaiming the word. As I'm proclaiming the word, I need to be using it for the conviction of men's hearts so that they will realize that they are sinners in need of salvation. I'm to rebuke them, to tell them that they're going the wrong way. Here is the right way, so that their course is right. And I am to exhort them. I'm to encourage them prod them along, if you will, so that they will make that right. And so a simple way of putting this, he's to go and tell the people that you are sinners headed for destruction. You need to turn to Christ. You need to admit that you're a sinner and ask him to save you. And then he needs to encourage them. What's holding you back? Come on. You need to trust him. You can't pay for your own sin. You need to be saved, right? Does that make it fairly clear? And he's to do that with patience. 
That's that long suffering that we're talking about. And that's probably one of the words in scripture that we struggle with the most. But most people don't know it. Just the fact that we have a lack of patience in all that we do. Even in our service toward God. We have a lack of patience with ourselves. We have a lack of patience with God. We have a lack of patience with other people, right? We've talked about in times past that with ourselves, we think we should have progressed past the point that we are right now, right? We think that our growth should be quicker than what it is. We think that uh, the things that we are struggling with now, we should have already defeated them, moved past them, and excelled on beyond that, right? But it doesn't matter if you've been saved for four years or 40 years, you're still going to struggle with sin as long as you're in this flesh and still on this earth. There's still going to be times that you're going to get frustrated with yourself and say, I should have done better than this. Right? We're impatient. We want to be further down the road than what we are. We're impatient with God. God, why hasn't this passed by now? God, why, hasn't you, why haven't you revealed this to me by now? Why haven't you brought me through this? Why haven't you made this happen? We become impatient. And then when we look at others, why haven't they gotten saved yet? Why haven't they gotten this right yet? Why haven't they moved beyond this? Why haven't they grown? Right? We get impatient. And so he says, Timothy, I'm charging you to continue this work. You're going to have to use the word of God doctrine patiently in people's lives because you're working with people. You can't force anything to happen. And so keep preaching the word so that it convicts and so that it corrects and so that it comforts people. Wouldn't it be awful if it convicted and it corrected but brought no comfort? But also equally awful is if it comforts and brings no conviction or correction. And that's what we're going to look at here in just a moment is that oftentimes today... And this is what he warned would happen, that people would be seeking out teachers, having itching ears. What are they talking about there? They're going to be looking for people to tell them what's comfortable. Tell them what they want to hear. Tell them what's going to make them feel good. Not what Paul is instructing Timothy to do, right? Because he says, make sure you're preaching, whether it's popular or not, that you're rebuking, exhorting, and reproving with long-suffering and doctrine, for the time will come, verse 3, when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. He says, just to get you ready for this, Timothy, you're going to have to be consistent in these things because... There's a time coming whenever people will have no patience for the things of God. The time is coming whenever people will not want to hear sound doctrine. They're not going to want to hear the truth, but instead they're going to pile to themselves teachers who will lie to them and make them comfortable. Is that not the day that we live in? Prosperity preachers and uh, self-help gurus and all these different things that's going on today that will be extremely popular in what they're preaching, but they're not going to be doctrinal. 
in what they're te what they're preaching. There have been some of the I call them speakers. Some of these speakers who've even admitted that they stay away from doctrine because doctrine is divisive. Have you ever heard that? But what did Paul tell Timothy? Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Because if you have no doctrine, there is no reproof or correction. Instead, all they're doing is exhorting people and they'll exhort people all the way to hell. Right? And so he says the day is coming whenever they're not going to endure sound doctrine. They won't put up with it. They won't listen to it. In fact, in verse number four, it says, they shall turn away their ears from the truth. You ever see a kid plug their ears? No, 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 not listening, not listening. I can't hear you, right? We've all seen that. We've probably done it at some point in time in our lives. Paul is telling Timothy that is what they're going to do spiritually. You ever see a kid cover their eyes and think that you can't see them because they can't see you? Similar idea here. So he says there is going to come a day whenever they're not going to listen because they think that by not listening, they're not accountable. They think if they can ignore it, that it'll go away. And so they're going to have no patience. They're not even going to have uh, even uh, enough common sense to listen to the truth. Instead, they're going to seek out for themselves teachers who will lie to them. And notice it says that they're going to heap to themselves. What does it mean that they're going to heap to themselves? What does that make you think of? Hmm? To accumulate. What's another word for heap? Anyone have a heap of laundry? A pile, right? A heap, a pile, right? And so if you think of a heap or you think of a pile, there is going to be... Anybody? A lot. There's going to be a lot, right? Yeah. So they're looking for a diversity, a multitude of these false teachers that will come and tickle their ears, that will tell them what they want to hear. And so there's going to be no shortage of them, right? Does that sound about right? And so it's going to be extremely hard to find someone sticking to the truth, someone who will tell you the truth of God's word without fear or favor of men. But it's going to be extremely easy to find someone that will tickle your ears. And so he's telling Timothy, you be the few, you be the small crowd there that is still standing on the truth, proclaiming the truth, whenever all the world is saying, we want the ones that will tickle our ears. We want the ones that will tell us it's okay for us to live in our sin, that God's okay with the things that he once called an abomination or that he once called a sin and the things that he once forbade. Instead, we want a God who is chummy, that can be one of us, that seems like someone that we'd sit down and have a pint at the pub with. We want to have uh, someone who will present God to us and being a way that is non-offensive. We want God presented in such a way that doesn't bring any conviction, that there is no guilt, there is no shame, there is no sin, but instead I can feel good about myself and the sin that I live in, the life that I live in, and I can be comforted all my way to hell. 
That is what the world's going to seek after. And so he says, make sure that you are sticking with it. Make sure that you are uh, holding up the banner, that you're carrying on the torch because this is what's coming forward. And so they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables, lies. That's what they're going to want. Verse 5, but, so the world is going this direction, but, Timothy, you need to go a different direction. Don't follow the world. Don't fall into their trap. Don't go into their destruction. Don't change your message. Don't change your methods. Don't change the way that you're doing things just to draw a crowd. He says, but watch thou in all things. If he is watching, he's being vigilant. Okay? He's not just going at it half-heartedly. He's not just allowing the chips to fall where they may. Instead, he is being vigilant in what he's doing. Another verse in the Bible tells us that we need to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We remember that verse? What does it mean to walk circumspectly? The word circumspect, circle, right? You are keeping an eye on what's going on. You are aware of what's happening, right? And so if he is watching in all things, he is walking circumspectly. He is keeping an eye on what's going on in his own life, in his ministry, and the things that's going on around him. He is paying attention because the ones that the devil is going to get are the ones that's not paying attention, right? Just as an example, I've often instructed Les and the girls whenever they are out anywhere, car parks, going somewhere, for them to always be aware of their surroundings and what's going on around them. Because if someone is going to attack them or take advantage of them, who do they usually go after? Okay, you say the weak one? The distracted one. They're after an easy target, right? Y'all realize that Satan's a coward? He's after an easy target. Why does the Bible say that Satan as a roaring lion goeth about seeking whom he may devour? Do most lions go about roaring? That announces their presence, doesn't it? What does a roaring lion do? What does a roaring lion do? It frightens, it scares, stuns, right? It's preying on the weak and the vulnerable. Isn't that what it's doing? And so whenever it says here, to watch thou in all things, he's saying be aware of what's going on because the ones who are going forth without watching, without care, without paying attention, that are not walking circumspectly, are going to walk into a snare, into a trap. They're going to fall for all of these devices of the devil, right? So I want to bring this back around and apply it to us and not just to Timothy here. We also should be servants of God, should be living for him in the days that we live in today because God's way is best. It is good. He has a future, as we're going to see here maybe next week. He has a future for us. He's going to reward us for the things that we have done in this life. Uh, he has got plans for us, all of these different things. And we are to seek to serve him, to live for him, 
and to seek his approval and not man's. We shouldn't be surprised when we look around and people don't want to hear the truth. Whenever people reject us and reject our God, whenever we try to speak the truth in love, patiently, right? People are going to reject it. People are going to be following headlong after some of these craziest things, after these lies and different things that are comforting, and they will reject the truth. Don't be surprised by those things, and also don't fall into those snares. Watch in all things. Be paying attention to the things that you are allowing to creep into your life, to the things that are influencing you. Be paying attention to those who have an impact in your life and to all of these different things because they can knock you off course. They can get you distracted. They can restructure the way that you're thinking, the way that you're processing things. They can restructure your priorities and take you away from God. And so we need to be consistent. We need to be careful. And we need to be continuing. Right? And so verse number five, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. Afflictions is something that takes many out, especially in the day whenever people are looking for comfort, when people are looking for ease, when they're searching out uh, teachers with their itching ears, right? And so whenever afflictions come, people say, wait a minute. I thought it was supposed to be easier. I thought God was supposed to give me the abundant life. Right? He says, endure afflictions. Keep going onward. Don't stop. Don't be knocked off course. He says, do the work of an evangelist. Now, this makes me think that most likely Timothy's spiritual gift was an evangelism. You look through the different lists of spiritual gifts, and you'll have helps and teaching and uh, giving and all these different things. And ev evangelism is a spiritual gift. There are some people who have a great boldness, a great desire, a great ability to go out, confront people with the gospel, share the gospel with them, and see people get saved. Okay? Some people, that's just something they absolutely love to do. And if someone absolutely loves to evangelize, that's probably their spiritual gift. Okay, But it doesn't seem like Timothy had it. Paul did but it doesn't seem like Timothy had it. But Paul says for him to be versatile. Do the things that need to be done, even if you may not be necessarily gifted at it, still do the work of an evangelist. You look at your life and say, well, I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't evangelize, right? What does it mean to evangelize? Share the gospel with people, right? Try to see people get saved. That may not be your specialty that may not be your special gifting but he says do the work of an evangelist and then the last one in verse number five he says make full proof of thy ministry this comes back into what we we're looking at in verse number one to make full proof of his ministry means for him to <clears throat> excuse me means for him to finish what god has set him out to do we we're talking about how God gives to each uh, their portion. God gives to each according to their ability and to their capacity, right? And so he says, Timothy, you just make sure that you're on track with God and make sure that you accomplish 
what he has set you out to do or set out for you to do. Okay? Make full proof of your ministry. And we're going to find here in verse number six, we didn't have time for it this week, but in verse number six, he says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul says, you need to finish your course as I finish mine. What a great encouragement it is for Timothy to have Paul. What a great thing it is for Timothy to be looking and say, he has already trod the pathway. He has already laid the foundation. He has already mapped out the way for me. Not that Timothy should do exactly the same thing as Paul, but he can look at Paul and say, that's what it looks like to finish well. It is possible. It can be done. You can stay faithful to the end. And so Timothy's looking at Paul and saying, he finished his course well, and by the grace of God, I'll finish mine too. Nothing left undone. I have done what God has set for me to do. Not what man expected me to do. Not what I thought I should do. I haven't busied myself with a bunch of nonsense. I haven't been uh, so caught up in all of these things that everyone thought I should be doing. I have done the work that God has sent me here to do. I have followed him. I have found his will, and it has led me all the way to here, and I'm going to keep on following him, letting him order my steps until the end. I'm going to make full proof of my ministry because not everyone does. So he tells Timothy, don't be a has-been, don't be a used-to-be. Keep serving God till you get to the end so that you can also say, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. So with that, does anyone have any questions or comments on what we've looked at this evening? You look like you want to ask something, I can't tell. Okay, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer and uh, call tonight. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. And Lord, we thank you so much for all that you do for us and for being so good to us, Lord. And we just pray, ask you that you would uh, take these things that we've looked at tonight, Lord. I pray that they would be uh, a comfort and an encouragement, Lord, in this day whenever we can be distracted and pressured from all different sides where we can get our focus skewed, where uh, there are so many temptations to turn aside or to to uh, to do lesser things or just help us lord to continue serving you continue in the truth continue uh, doing what pleases you lord and lord help us lord to finish our course with patience lord we thank you so much for all that you do and as we pray in jesus name amen